You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The Province Sports Podcast. Welcome to the White Towel Podcast at the province and the Vancouver Sun. Subscribe to us through Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating. Leave your feedback. I'm Paul Chapman, joined by Ed Willis, and we will talk about all things in the Canuck world. Ed, shocking weekend uh, for the Canucks. They're in the playoff hunt, aren't they? Suddenly a lot more interesting world to talk about, and it's opened up a, like a world of possibilities in both the good and the bad sense. I mean, this, like I've been saying all along, this is the most interesting 500 team I've ever covered, and they seem to get more interesting as the season unfolds. I'm not sure what's more surprising, that they're interesting or that they're 500, which we <laughs> shouldn't be a mark to aspire to in uh, if you're really a championship contender, but this team... I think ha- continues to surprise people with its competitiveness. Yeah, I, you know, and here's the funny thing, though, Paul. Like in a couple of these years, they've been in a very similar position mid-January, about January 20th, where they've been two, three games over 500, and then the, just the bottom fell out of their season. But I don't think they've ever been in this position where they've actually held down a playoff spot, and I don't think they've had a team where you looked at and and, and could reasonably think, you know. Yeah, this isn't a complete fluke that they're here. I think they benefited from superior goaltending all season long. That's kind of an underreported part of this thing. Of course, Patterson, who saw that coming, he changes the conversation. But you just look at the depth and some, you know, where players are slotted into the lineup. And for the first time, I think since uh, Willie Desjardins' first year when they uh, when they uh, made the playoffs, um, you look at that lineup and go, yeah, that's like an NHL lineup. Um, the depth is an interesting one. I mean, obviously when Pedersen got his more recent injury, uh, they got shut out those two games. They look like now the bottom is going to fall out. Um, but then we saw the so-called grit, the depth, the tenacity really work for this team to come back. But (laughs) Pedersen, I just continue to be amazed with this kid, Ed. I think, you know, Pavel is really the only apt comparison but mm-hmm. I even think he as a rookie I even think in terms of his impact he, on he, the yeah it's yep. it's astonishing for for me that he came back off another injury and instantly his he's their best player again <laughs> you've covered this team for a mm-hmm. long time really 
I, I'm always like, you need a big sample of work, but where does this kid rank? I'm astonished at how good he is. Well, he, he's in a category uh, on his own, and you and, and Bray is really the only direct comparable in terms of completely different players, obviously, but in terms of his impact uh, on the team. But but I, for me, the biggest difference is Pedersen plays center. He's the number one center, and that is so massively important because everything falls into place around him now. Now you've got that first scoring line. Now you've got Bo Horvat in a very comfortable position, centering a second line. Now all of a sudden you're not really depending on the third or fourth line more than it would, more than they're capable of delivering. So there's that. Uh, that game against Detroit, <laughs> it was it just blew my mind. Like they had nothing. They had Zippo going for the first 15 minutes and they kind of, you know, they win a puck battle. They get the puck back to Besser at the point and he lets this muffin go and <laughs> Pedersen somehow reaches out his stick and, and just at the perfect angle deflects it inside the post and they're up one nothing, in a game they had no business being in. And that goal stand, that goal kept them in the game. They should have been blown out in the second period because that was one of the worst periods they played all season. But they come out and full credit to them, fair play. They won, they won the game in the third period with again Pedersen playing a, a lead role in it. So it's, it, it is. It's, I still think it's like the hockey gods had a meeting on Hockey Olympus. They looked at Vancouver. They decided, yes, these people have suffered enough. We are going to gift them Elias Patterson. It was the Brad Marchand thing in 2011, wasn't it? it was I think that, 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 that was the yeah, hockey I think so. said Well, that, that I go, oh, geez, we've got about 48 yeah. years of that to, yeah. to account for. But um, You have talked to Patterson. You've seen him in the locker room. You've seen him play. What makes him different? I mean, if you were to look at a kid like that, and I know coming into the NHL people said, Oh, he's a bit small. He's going to have to learn the physical aspect of it, the travel, the attention. Just seems to shrug right off the kid's shoulders. This is a really an interesting topic of conversation because it, it has been underreported this season. He is a prickly dude. No, I've noticed he, that. No, the he, eye rolls he, he, and the... No, he really is. And, like, for a 20-year-old to do that, you know, like maybe play more than 40 games before you act like you belong in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> but I think what it speaks to in the larger sense is the fire he's got, and that shows up on the ice. He made a couple of plays where he gave the puck away against Detroit, and this is where he reminds me so much of Forsberg, just the way he battles to get back in the play. He laid out and blocked a shot yeah. in front of Markstrom after, again, he was kind of responsible uh, for the giveaway that caused the mess in the first place. But but that's, I think that's the most impressive thing to me is, is it just the will he has. This is a guy who weighs 175 pounds who plays every shift like like his life depends on it. And that, 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 that stuff is just so impressive and, and so invaluable. And that's what makes you think he should be around for the long haul. You know, again, I have, you see it on TV, the sort of the outward disdain for a question that's yeah. asked. Yeah. And it, it, that's really unique for a rookie. Like, let alone a European rookie. No, and it, it's been a topic of conversation in the Canucks offices and they are, working with him because i mean it could well, are they or are they happy no with no no, the no guys? they are they are i'm taking them at their word for this because this could lead to a really embarrassing situation for the organization you know like if he does it at the wrong time with the wrong person in front of the wrong tv camera you might have a mess on your hand i think for the most part you mean like their former general manager used yeah, to do on a regular the, the, basis well, which one <laughs> <laughs> gillis burke take your pick um sorry uh but i i, I think people have been you know like they've cut him a bit of a, a, a bit of slack here he is a young kid there is a bit of a language barrier there's a bit of a cultural ba- barrier there's a lot of pressure on him uh, and he's kind of learning as he goes. So, so we'll see. I, I, I've seen a couple of things in the last 
week to 10 days that makes me think that somebody's gotten to him and he's uh, he's he's figured it out. He's a very aware kid too. That, that That's the other thing. I just wonder if that's actually part of his makeup when you sit here and go, yeah. you know, how is he handling all this? Maybe that's it. Maybe he's just well, again, one of know, those guys who's not going to let this stuff bother him. Well, it, let's, you know, step back and think, you know, this is, you know, this is a kid who's been told continually, you're too small, you're too skinny, you don't skate enough, you can't possibly play this game at the next level, you can't, you can't, you can't. And I think he's taking a great deal of delight in shoving it up people's asses. Uh, and that kind of shows up in the way he carries himself, but you can do it. I mean, look, I've covered, I, I hate to be that guy, but I've covered Wayne Gretzky, I've covered Mario Lemieux, and, and they, the, the thing is, they wore it. Yeah. They, they just weren't overt about it, right? Yeah. And, and there has to be an area, like for you to be like a top elite player, there has to be a certain amount of arrogance there. I was, it's funny you say that. I was talking to one of the writers in Calgary who said uh, Johnny Gaudreau has gone from being like one of the nicest, best guys around to just being openly dickish yeah like just cannot like yeah so you know i guess you're right there's a there's a level like there's a human element to that yeah that you get the money you get the fame and all of a sudden you start thinking you're something maybe you're not but i also think it's it's something that may help you on the ice as well. and again i hate to be the old guy but but the culture of the game has changed so much and and the way they they, they protect star players in terms of their availability, and it's always in scrums, and it's always limited, and it's always measured. When I first started covering the league, we would go to Edmonton for a game. Doors are open after the first practice, first players uh, off the ice in practice, and you'd be sitting there and you'd walk in. Oh, look, there's Gretzky. Oh, there, there, there's Messi. I'll talk to him. You never talked to Glenn Anderson, but there's you know coffee. You didn't name it. Yerry Curry. Yeah. They they were all there, always available, always accountable. Reminds me of a story that you may have even told me, Ed. Uh, Red Fisher in Montreal when Mark Recchi was there. Yeah, and it's a famous, yeah, uh, sto- yeah, famous hockey writer player story. So go yeah. ahead because it makes well, me okay, laugh today. No, I, I, I'm, I'm going to try and remember it now. So, so I mean, Red was like a different animal all the way around. It's funny, we're talking about Patterson. Red's, Red's policy was he never talked to rookies. Yeah, exactly. That, inclu- that included coaches. So, in Alain Vigneault's first year. <laughs> Head coach of the Montreal Canadiens, the Canadiens beat writer, never talked to him because he was a rookie. Anyways, this isn't about that. This is uh, so they're playing a game, and Red has determined that the Canadiens were very lucky to win. Yeah. So he's got Recky, and he's grilling him. And this is also a stage when you were talking to players, kind of they were taking their equipment off. So Mark has taken his suspenders down, so his pants are just sitting around his hips, and he's. Telling, giving Red his take on the game. Red isn't digging it. Red isn't buying it. So he says, when you're ready, something along the lines yeah. of, when you're ready to tell the truth, you come and find me. He turns yeah. around and walks away. Recky supposedly walks after him, except his pants have fallen down now, so he's walking in. And here's a great visual yeah. for you. You're probably an era when they were still wearing garter belts yeah. you know, to hold the, the stockings, the hockey socks up. So, yeah. Yeah, the version of the story I heard is he, he runs after Red and goes, well, Red, what do you want me to say? Yeah, and Red goes, I want you to say true. this, that, and the other. But I just, I reference that in that I can't see Pedersen chasing a reporter out of the locker room today going, no, seriously, what do you want from me? <laughs> Not in the kid's makeup, but maybe that's a good thing um what is in this team's makeup is perhaps playoffs and mm-hmm. we do look at it you talked about it good weekend they win two games um i mean let's face it the opponents have been kind to the canucks here they've come back they've 
got through a very tough first part of the season with a lot of road trips and the World Juniors forced them out on the road. Now they've got these massive breaks in between. It's giving them rest. They're getting some favorable opponents, but this team looks to have that fighting them for the rest of the season, don't they? I, I, I think so. And and, and obviously the, the sanded phrase everybody is using is playing meaningful games and what that means to the organization, what that means to the development of the young players. And I think they're there now, unless, again, the bottom falls out. And I just don't see it with the goaltending they have and, 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 and the roster that they, they can put out most nights. And I think the other imperative part is they real desperately need Alex Adler and Chris Tanev to stay healthy because they're a different team when they're in the lineup. But having said that, and, you know, and so again, it's kind, of, it's kind of a muted version of the draftist debate this year, don't you find? Yeah. It's not quite as frenzied as it's been in years past, but it still exists. And I honestly don't know how given what Canucks fans have endured for the last three seasons, how anybody could think it would be a good idea for them to miss the playoffs again and roll the dice in the draft lottery. I just don't understand that argument. Yeah, you know, I, I think um, I, I experienced this firsthand when you can get carried away following social media and seeing the reaction on stories online about uh, tank, tank, you know, they need more talent. Um, I went to a game late last season against Anaheim, uh, which spent a fair amount of time at the beer counter, but I mm. believe they won. Um, but uh, anyway, I'm not sitting in judgment on no, you, no, by the but way. But the, uh, look, a, a game in late March against the Ducks last season, well, was, I'm surprised part, there weren't more people joining <laughs> me there. Was it part of the Sedin Farewell Tour, which actually... It was a little prior to that. Okay, all right. But my point was that while you get all this conversation about them tanking, the atmosphere in the rink when they were winning was through the roof. Yeah. And you got to remember, those are the people who bought tickets. Yeah. So there's still a good chunk of people who support the team financially, who want to see them win, who want to see goals, who want to leave that rink maybe with their kid or their friends and feel happy and feel good about the future. For me, this is what you talked about. Everyone wants to trade Edler and Tanev. And yet you look at how they've played this year, in particular Edler. Yeah. Where is this guy now in terms of what the Canucks should do? Or I, I, think I think everyone looks at he's yeah. a free agent, and but yeah. he loves Vancouver. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty clear what's going to happen. They're going to sit down and try to extend him. Now, off, now the question becomes, what's the term? What's the compensation? But given what he's given them this year, like it's a complete no-brainer. You cannot replace what Alex Adler has given them in free agency. Uh, or I'm sorry, you can, but it's going to cost you so much. You know, this is a born and bred Canuck. This is a guy who, you know, who carries some currency in that locker room and with him and Tanev now if they with him and Tanev really if they go out and get an Eric Carlson which is really I'm sorry it would be going out speaking and getting, of costing <laughs> you a lot going out and getting Eric Carlson all of a sudden that is a really good blue line now now you've got your number one you've got everybody fitting in or in around him um, so I, I, I think it's clear what they're going to do. I think they're going to they're going to extend them, and they're probably going to do the same thing with Tanev next year. It just it, I mean, I, and again, the stated purpose of this organization has been to build a competitive environment uh, while they integrated young players in, into the lineup. How you back away from that now when they are in the middle of a playoff spot? I don't know how you do that and maintain credibility with your fan base. You know, we, we talked about uh, Pedersen's mentality and what's made him what he is at such a young age. Um, Edler's a surprising one because mm. those expectations of being a potential Norris Trophy winner yep. were put on him early when the team was very good and they seemed to really weigh him down a little bit. Never fulfill prov promise, people would say. Um, 
kind of went into the wilderness there for a few years, an easy guy for the fans to pick on. Yeah. This year, when people want to shove him out the door, all of a sudden seems to be his renaissance. Yeah, actually, I thought it started last year. I thought he was superb over the second half of last season, and he's really continued it. I think there are two things with Alex. One was the back injury that knocked him out, and that that's a killer for a hockey player. I, I, I've never done a deeper dive into it because now it's like kind of a six-year-old story, but I know that set him back. And that year under Tortorella, that put the zap on his brain. I don't know what happened, but for that guy with that skill set to be the worst plus-minus player in the NHL is absolutely mind-blowing. So, you know... But, Coach but, of the and, Year candidate, John Tortorella, <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Isn't it unbelievable when you it really look back is. on that year and that he was the guy who was hand-picked, he's the guy who's going to, you know, sustain the shelf life of the Sedin team and he just turned it into the biggest train wreck of all time and then he was gone. It's, it's, he was it, gone, at One of I the did... craziest... Cha- in, an or- in a franchise that had really has some amazing chapters, that is among the craziest. Oh, the whole Luongo being benched oh. for the Heritage Classic, which yeah, he yeah. still references. That's Right. Yeah. And but the the biggest mis- or biggest shock to me is that someone hired him, and I guess even bigger than that is that he's actually had some success in Columbus. Like I honestly yeah. thought from that year here, and you look at how he treated players like Edler, like this guy is not for the NHL today, and yet he's had moderate amount of success. Amazing. And I remember talking to John Davidson two years ago about and basically that was the question: Why? Yeah. Why did you hire this guy? And he and his answer is basically, why not? Look at his track record. Look at what he's done. There was there was really no choice. We had organizational meetings and we kicked it around and we always ended up at the same place. So, whatever. A, again, it's the magic of the Canucks that yeah. they could t- take somebody like that and produce the season they they did. Um, well, we talked about Edler and Tanev and how that bred success. Uh, one of the surprising things to me that the team has not only stayed in the playoff hunt but got some wins that you wouldn't expect is when they had that great charge at the beginning, Jake Furtanen was a great story. Bo Horvat was an even better story. They have seen some players tail off. What are you seeing with some of these other guys in the locker room who haven't had the sustained success that a guy like Pedersen's had? Specifically? Well, I would say Horvat and Vertanen for two. Yeah, Horvat is the least of their worries. I mean, he just does so much. I think I, I think the larger problem with Horvat is it's incumbent on the organization to find a scoring winger who can play with them. They've got their first line set. They're missing they're missing a piece in the in in their top six, which is why this uh, this year's free agency is so is going to be so interesting uh, for for the Canucks. And, yeah, you just and, so and happened to write base. about that. Uh, well, I, I, I did. I, yeah, I heard but, it on the radio, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> but but again, I just you, you just look at that, and it it is such a glaring hole, and and they they have to get somebody for Horvat to play with so he can be a more productive player, and he's still fine, whatever it gives him. For Tannen, to me, I'm, I guess there's some talk he's going to be scratched for the uh, for the game against Tomorrow, Carolina, yeah. and, and that puzzles me because it seems to me he had, find, he had found a niche. He'd found a niche on that third line with Brandon Sutter, and, and it was... He, you didn't expect the world. You just He'd go out and play his 12, 13 minutes, and I don't know. I, I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt to Travis Green on this one because he's been mostly right about pushing players' buttons. So maybe he just saw something in Jake that he needed a kick or he needed some kind of message sent. But I thought that was one of the successes of this season is, you know, they're, they're not expecting Vertanen to be all of a sudden emerge as a 30-goal scorer, to be an offensive driver. He can be a big physical winger who goes up and down his wing, get you 15, 17 goals a year. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a pretty good player in the NHL. Now, it shouldn't be the sixth overall pick. 
who gives yeah, her that. Yeah, that's the albatross that hangs around yeah, it, Erica course, Branson. Course, yeah, you know? of course it is. Of course it is. But, you know, it's still a, he can still be a valuable piece. So, again, I thought he's, he hasn't been great during this homestand, but that line has been fine. Uh, he drew the primary assist on uh, on um, uh, Roussel's game-winning goal against Detroit. He's been in the middle of scum-scoring plays. The, yeah, um, weird. It, it, it's funny. What we're hearing is, uh, yeah, uh, Patrick Johnson did tell me from the rink that he heard that Jake would be out and Goldie would be in. Is that that is something with a young developing team, though? If and we, my God, the Goldobin takes are just yeah. it's another thing that divides Canucks Twitter. If that's of any interest to you, but. Uh, if if the coach is going to take a certain tack with Goldobin and say, I don't like what I'm seeing, he's not learning this, he has to do that, I would think that you have to apply that equally. So perhaps yeah. there's something in Vertanen's yeah. game that he doesn't yeah. like. That's all part of the like teacher as much as coach for Green, I would guess. I, I, I think... I think that's valid. I I I, ha- I haven't seen that thing in Jake's game that warrants him. I mean, healthy scratch is like you know that God, that's like such a black mark for for a player. It's you know that is a huge thing, and, and they take they take it seriously. You know, and and it can be hurtful. And there have been players who've been lost when they've been made healthy scratches a couple of times. So um, we'll see. I. I go back and forth in Goldobin. I don't get as exercised about, about it as other people. I, to me, he's had ample opportunity to prove he can be a little more than an average point producer on a, on a mediocre team. And I'm sorry, you shake a tree anywhere in the, in the NHL and 15 of those guys fall out. The question is, can you win with them? And he has yet to demonstrate that he you, you can do that with them. You know, that's... You, there's young and then there's... Yep not young anymore That's entering right. what and should be your prime and uh, I remember at the time and I still think it was great business to get Dolan and Goldobin for Hansen and Burroughs who are you know long since out of the equation um, but there's a reason those teams gave up on them right as you said every team has these mid-level prospects I don't think the Canucks fan base is any different but I was talking with someone about this over the weekend that Jet Wu has a couple of good games and oh my god this team is stacked right it's not always the way there's yeah. It wasn't that long ago we were hearing that the Canucks got first-round steals with Jordan Subban and and Cole Castles. Mm -hmm. These were kids who, you know, surefire NHLers. I can't believe other teams passed up on them. There's that mid-level prospect for every team, and it's how you develop them from there. And the Canucks probably have, I, I, I don't have the time to count them all. I would say between 8 and 10 of them now when you look at Utica and look at the guys they have in junior. If two or three of those guys develop, into regular NHL players, that is massive. That's really as much as you could expect. And it should be a cautionary tale to the fan base here when you look at a guy like Cole Lind, early second-round pick, almost almost a first-rounder where, where, where he was picked. The way he struggled in Utica this year, that American Hockey League is a really difficult league to play in. He finally seems to have some traction. He scored goals in back-to-back games, so he seems to be finding himself. But I would submit... That arc is a lot more consistent with most 2021-year-olds 20, that go into the AHL than not. So, and I think the same thing with Gadjevich. I think probably we're going to say the see the same thing with Tyler Madden when he turns pro. See the same thing with Jet Wu. See the same thing over and over and over again. And you just hope from the Canucks' point of view that, like I said, if two or three of those guys emerge and one is an actual different maker, say it's Jonathan Dallin. Uh, say it's Lucas, whoever it is. That's really all you need. That's really all you could reasonably expect from that group. It, 
my God, if we had Twitter in the days of Jim Sandlack and Cam Neely and J.J. Daniel and drafting a guy on with crutches, Woodley, yeah, 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 it, yeah. It, I guess it would have gone crazy. But it, the, the the yeah, Gadjevich is another guy who the the angst over him not playing enough games yeah. down in 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 Utica. Um, you can ruin a guy too if you put him in a in a position to just fail over and over and over again as well. You have to, and the Canucks have done that with uh, with their pro, some of their first round picks as we just referenced over the years so I, I think you're right it's just it's it is it does alarm me how the smallest thing of a player who is not a top five pick can be such a big deal yeah you, know, you have to put trust you went you went down I'll put yeah. it this way you went down to Utica when Travis Green was there you saw the operation you saw the the mindset you saw that there was actual an actual game plan of how to handle these guys with a larger view rather than just one for this season. I, I'm really impressed by Ryan Johnson. I, I think he really is a rising star in, in the NHL. I, I, and he's the, he's the general manager in Utica. And I, I really think there's a plan. And, and you know, the whole time there, people were, you know, kvetching about, about the Canucks and the organization. And the only, you know, is Benning a good general manager, is Trevor Linden this. When, when I stood back and took, like, sort of like the wide-angle view of the organization, I, I, I saw guys like, like Ryan Johnson, like Manny Malholter, like Judd Brackett. Who I think is a rock star, the the new director, yeah. no, he's, but the director of amateur scouting. I saw guys like that in key decision making positions, and I thought, you know, they really are building the semblance of of a pretty good organization here. And I think Green is Green's like a charter member of that group. I think he's as important, or probably the most important piece of all, of all that puzzle. So I think they've got something in the works there. Now we'll just see how it plays so out So I'll here. ask you this. This may be a really unfair question, but and this is not a judgment on Trevor Linden. But when you have an owner who likes to be vocal, was it a case, do you think, of having too many voices that maybe was tripping this team up? Or And again, that's not a condemnation yeah. of Linden. If Linden yeah. had stayed and Benning had gone, maybe you'd have the same thing. It just seems now that sort of losing that voice, there may be a little more unanimity or a little more, you know, reading from the same playbook. Well, okay, well, let's back it up. So, so when I look at the Canucks this year, I just see it as a continuation of Linden's regime. I don't see one thing Benning's done that Linden wasn't part of the Linden plan. So it was just bad timing that he's out because... I, I, I honestly think it was that. He didn't tell ownership what they wanted to hear. I've talked to a bunch of people who were around this, you know, around the, the, the situation. He told ownership it was probably going to be four years before this team was ready. Now, he did that in the summer when nobody had a hot clue what Elias Patterson was going to yeah. be. And or that, even Markstrom's progress, right? Well, no, yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and, you know, a lot of the good things that have happened for this organization. So that that is apparently, that that's where the big divide took place. That he was preaching this, you know, this patient, strategic rebuild based largely on the Winnipeg model, but other teams around the league. And, and, and the Aquilinis just didn't want to hear that. They wanted, they wanted more immediate results and they wanted it now and again you know <laughs> Trevor if somebody if Trevor had any idea that Pedersen was going to be what he was going to be I think this He'd story I think this story might have had a different ending I yeah. really do uh, speaking of ending one last thing before we go we we talked about uh, Jacob Markstrom Demko plays mm. uh, obviously it's a one game sample we'll see where it goes now 
Uh, again, happy with that tandem going forward, looking one, two, three years. I know Di Pietro is still yep. hanging there, but we know about development of goalies. Um, but when you look at this, you see it as something that's not going to be a tremendous concern or anchor for this team. No, no. And, and I mean, that is a huge check mark, you know, and I, I think really it's funny. I talked to Kevin Woodley, who's really like the goaltending guru in this market. And I keep telling him the only thing I know about goaltending is I don't know anything about it. But I like and that. But I think that's true for like a lot of people in hockey. I think Ian Clark is a key figure in this. The goalie coach they brought back. I think what he's he he is. Markstrom, like it's always the athlete who deserves the credit for it, but I think he has gotten Markstrom to a second step or to another step in his progression. And I think he will do the same with Demko. And talking to both of them, you can just see the confidence they have in the message they get from the coach when they talk about, you know, their play this year. And uh, Markstrom wouldn't be the first goalie, certainly, who at age 28 kind of put it all together, you know, a little later than, than, than some. And it's... It's changed, but they used to say that was really when a goalie was hitting his prime. So it's funny. Just uh, I know it has changed now with guys like uh, Ian Clark, and there's certainly you know several others, Rolly Melanson. Yeah. There's all sorts of guys through the NHL now who who have sort of taken that mantle. I just remember talking to Ray Farrow once, who I do think is one of the best analysts in the business. He's just fantastic, uh, and just. From his era, he would curse a blind streak at all the goalies who had gone into media because he was like, they never fucking did anything. They just skated around on the ice and they stopped pucks. They never had to learn anything. They didn't have angles. They didn't have techniques. They just stood in the goal and stopped pucks. What the hell do they know about hockey? But it, it has certainly changed. My, my first year in Winnipeg, the, 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 the Jets hired Dave Pryor as the goal. He was a consultant. And he was one of the few goalie coaches, like 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 dedicated guys who specialized in coaching goalies. And this is like this was seen as like a revolutionary move. And now, uh, within four or five years, like there was the uh, they were everywhere. There were the, the Alaire brothers. There was um, the dude in Washington whose name I keep forgetting. And it really became. I mean, you think of the game now, right? It, I probably, I mean, I'm sure there's an an analogy to be drawn here between like quarterback coaches and goalie coaches. Like, there's a tight end coach. Well, no, but back in the day, like you know, in the '60s, '70s, with all these Hall of Famers, there was an offensive coordinator, right? I don't think there was a quarterback coach per se. Uh, but now, and it's just such a demanding job. It's you know, you really do need that guy who's sort of a coach, father, confessor. Uh, analyst, um, counselor, all those things. Imagine Roger Nielsen being ridiculed by his peers for using video to analyze the teams he was going to play. Like, yeah, yeah, we've come a long way from the technical end of it. Actually, we should do a podcast on that, just sort of the things. Because I I was talking about it with my wife about, you know, like there was an era when they thought like drinking water uh, during practice was a sign of weakness and ultimately bad for you. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, uh, well, that's, you can still go into that with some NFL coaches, right? Yeah. Don't wear sunglasses. It's a sign of weakness. <laughs> Don't, you know, you're in Minnesota and it's like 40 degrees Celsius and, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Bare, arm, bare arms. Yeah, there and, uh, you go. <laughs> uh, all right, we'll leave it there, Ed. Thank you for listening. We will do another White Towel podcast this week. You can subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts. Read all Ed's stuff online at thepromise.com, VancouverSun.com, and we'll talk to you later in the week. Thank you.